passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to World Pod, an Alabama sports podcast from Bama 247. I'm Cody Goodwin, joined here today by our fellow staff writer, Mike Rodak. Mike, Talty and I ended the last show with a few Taylor Swift references, so I feel like it's fitting that we kick off today's show with another. I got to ask, do you have a favorite Taylor Swift song? No. Nope. <laughs> Zero. Uh, I I personally prefer Cruel Summer, uh, mostly because it's just the last one that I listen to start to finish. Um, the reason I ask about T-Swift, um, not exactly because that's how Talty and I ended the last show, but because it actually ties into this week's Alabama Ole Miss game. Uh, Crimson Tide hosts the Rebels on Saturday, 2.30 p.m. Central, CBS. Uh, we'll discuss that game on today's show. We'll also discuss Alabama's defense, offense, maybe even answer a few questions, a little mailbag portion of the show near the end if we've got some time but first wanted to explain why we're talking about taylor swift again we learned earlier this week lane kiffin the old miss head coach former alabama offensive coordinator is also a taylor swift fan big one in fact prefers the deep cuts apparently his favorite song as of right now or at least the one he's been listening to more recently um castles crumbling part of taylor swift's speak now album uh we know this because lane has been tweeting about it uh he tends to tweet a lot during the weeks that he plays alabama uh, we know he and Nick Saban have a unique relationship, unique in air quote, quotes, because don't even know if it's like a real relationship anymore or if it's just like Lane just kind of like throwing soft grenades at Nick. Um, Nick Lane likes to poke at Nick. He likes to troll him, um, despite being 0-4 all time against Saban in Alabama, 0-1 while at Tennessee in 0-9, and then 0-3 the last three years while at Ole Miss. 
But here's what Lane's done this week, just a short recap. He asserted that Alabama's defense is actually being called by Traveris Robinson, the cornerback's coach, rather than defensive coordinator Kevin Steele. Um, after Saban confirmed that Steele is the one calling the plays, Lane was asked about that comment specifically and said, among other things, quote, it's not a secret that people in these buildings know each other, so we obviously get some information that way too, end quote. He's probably alluding to the former Alabama staffers that are on his staff now, like Wes Neighbors and Charlie Weiss Jr., um, but it was worded in a way that maybe kind of sort of suggests that he has a mole in Tuscaloosa. Probably not, but it's just kind of like, hmm, why'd you word it that way? Um, then he takes to Twitter or X where he quote tweeted his dog juice. Um, he expressed gratitude for Saban adding him to his staff. And then he also references castles crumbling that Taylor Swift song. Um, I think I know the answer to this, but Mike, have you heard of this castles crumbling song? I have. In fact, I mean, I, I said, I don't have a favorite T Swift song. It doesn't mean I don't hear them or listen or know any of them. Um, and I've certainly have heard Castles Crumbling. In fact, I was I was surprised. I think it was Dan Wetzel's column this week on Yahoo Sports. He called it a deep cut. Like I, I feel like that's more mainstream. Uh, Castles Crumbling, and you know, reading the lyrics, I'm like, man, I can think of that song in my head. I can maybe even start singing it myself. But um, I mean, there there's two different approaches that we see. Um, you know, Nick Saban, not on Twitter or X, and not quoting Taylor Swift songs and not talking about Ole Miss's, you know, play calling. And then you have the other side of it, you know, with Lane. And I don't know if it means anything for the game, but it's fun at least to watch. Um, I, I, you know, I, I personally think people probably make made a little bit too big of a deal over the, um, the, the coordinator thing in terms of Lane's motives and um, you know, this, random unannounced Sunday, you know, press conference and whether he was just trying to get under Saban's scan. I, I don't know if I read into all the conspiracy theories there, but you know, I don't think Lane minded kind of throwing that out there and having it be another thing that Saban had to deal with this week. So yeah, I, I probably fall somewhere in the middle. Like I, I don't know if Lane is quite as um, disruptive as, as some people think, um, but I also think he's obviously more fun than, than Saban is. And again, that, that makes a game like this kind of fun. Yeah. Um, which makes me like, you know, this is the first time I've seen, you know, like you kind of know from the outside, like in big 10, big 12 country that lane likes to poke at Saban. Um, but then like you see it up close and it's like, you can kind of appreciate like the, you know, just the little subtleties here. And like, really like this castle's crumbling song, like the title in itself is like hilarious, but then you read the lyrics and you know, the lyrics, I don't know if our listener knows the lyrics. I'm going to do like, here, here's one of them, right? Like I once had an empire in a golden age. I was held up so high. I used to be great. They used to cheer when they saw my face. Now I fear that I've fallen from grace. Like that is dude. Like you are like, you're not just poking the bear. Like you're taking a knife and like really trying to stab at it a little bit. Or is he poking fun at the idea that Saban is on the way out? Because that you know that's been Lane's shtick the last couple games is that he likes to come out before the game and you know he has this jousting match with Paul Feinbaum publicly where you know he says you know Paul you're you're poking at Saban and um, you're only going to make him upset and goat fuel um, and you know it's it, it's all. Um, 
you know, it's it's fake news in, in his mind that Alabama's dynasty is crumbling. That's what he said the last couple of years. And, you know, we didn't really hear much of that from Lane in his press conferences. And then, you know, we had the tweet. Um, so you could interpret it different ways. And I think that's kind of what Lane likes is, is not having it be entirely clear. And, you know, it's kind of have a, a subtle um, joke, basically. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, I think, yeah, from the outside, people probably see Lane as like this quote machine and, you know, it's going to say outrageous things and, you know, a Rex Ryan type. Yeah, he really isn't. I mean, you listen to him, his press conferences are pretty boring sometimes. Um, you can ask him questions and, you know, it's not like he's going to be inflammatory, uh, but he does kind of make this subtle stuff every now and then. And then, you know, sometimes it is, he throws it out there right before the game two years ago in Tuscaloosa. You know, he had the same approach the entire week where he's talking about we respect Alabama, great team, blah, blah, blah. And then he does his pregame interview with CBS and says, get your popcorn ready, um, which in hindsight, I'm sure he regrets because they came out in that game and, you know, failed on a bunch of fourth downs and it was over within a quarter. Um, but usually you don't get those kind of crazy statements from Lane Kiffin. I think that part of it, of him is probably overrated. That makes sense. But that, that leads me to like my last question of this opening segment here. Um, you've covered all these games, like the last three games. You've seen a fair amount of Lane Kiffin over the last few years. What's your favorite way that he's kind of poked at Saban or trolled him a little bit? Most memorable, favorite, whichever one. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he has as much as people think. Like, I, the fine, he kind of does it through Feinbaum, and there's that kind of back and forth that he has with Feinbaum. And some of it seems like it's a little bit um, contrived. And then there's been other clips that I've seen Kiffin and Feinbaum, I think it was at SEC Media Days, if I'm not mistaken, where no, like it, it seemed legit. Like, uh, you know, Kiffin was upset with Paul about X, Y, and Z. So again, I can't like even think of a time off my head that Lane's really trolled um, Saban. And and maybe I'm have amnesia at this point from covering, you know, a few seasons of this. But um, again, I, my take on it is that the Lane Saban back and forth is, is overrated from, from Kiffin's standpoint. And I don't, I don't think he does quite as much as some people think on the outside. Yeah. And I guess it's not so much like a back and forth, you know, cause like, I don't know, like Saban has to worry about some of the small things that he says sometimes, but like, I don't know. It's not like Saban goes out of his way to like, you know, post a tweet or say small things here and there. Like it's really just kind of laying just like, Hey, like, you know, just let's, can, can I get a sliver of your attention for a split second? And I mean, clearly I mean, he did because he had to address the Kevin Steele thing earlier this week. I mean, the Lane thing within the last couple of years that comes to mind in terms of him going after another coach or another program is Texas A&M. Um, when he came out and started talking about A&M, you know, having a salary cap or whatever it was and, you know, paying players. And um, and then you had Jimbo come back and call him a clown act and kind of call Saban a clown act. And then after that, you had Saban, you know, the very public thing with um, – Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M bought their whole class. So that's like a true back and forth firing volleys at each other. And I think Lane's done that multiple times with Jimbo and A&M. I can't think of a time that it's been like that, you know, between Lane and Alabama, which I think part of that is, I think Lane wants to be the head coach of Alabama one day. And, um, 
you know, obviously you want to stay within the good graces of the people that, that have power here. And I think that's, that has to be part of Lane's thinking in all this, that, you know, he doesn't want to mess up something that, you know, if he wins this game on Saturday, that discussion, that talk is only going to grow. Is Lane Kiffin the next head coach to Alabama? Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a side note, now I feel like I'm going to be paying a little bit closer attention when Ole Miss plays A&M. Um, just because, you know, Bobby Petrino is calling plays now for AM and not Jimbo Fisher. And I just picture them meeting up at midfield pregame and Lane being like, you know, it's a little unfortunate you had to give up plays. Like, could never be me. And then AM probably wins by two scores anyway, because Petrino's normally pretty good. Although they ended up losing last week, which was a little odd. Um, that was the opening segment. We can talk some actual Alabama football now. Um, Ole Miss presents all kinds of challenges for the Crimson Tide. They're coming in fourth nationally, 52 points a game, um, 11th nationally in total offense, more than 500 yards a game. This is an insane unit um, that is really going to test and stretch and stress Alabama's defense. You wrote about Alabama's defense for today because um, one of the more unique, interesting subplots is Pete Golding is making his return to Tuscaloosa. He was the defensive coordinator here 2018 through last season, took the same job at Ole Miss. Um, you kind of wrote a story looking at the early returns of Kevin Steele being back at Alabama um, and kind of how it compares to what we saw from Pete Golding's defense over the last five years. What were kind of the the big picture takeaways from what you were able to find? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a small sample size to begin with, with steel. Obviously it's only been three games and the Texas game is really the one where you can take the most away from because of the level of competition. And obviously there was still a lot of the familiar things that fans wanted to get mad about um, with Pete Golding were still existing, you know, within the Texas game, whether it was, you know, bad matchups in the secondary and, you know, receivers taking advantage of those, which Texas did. Um, penalties, which Alabama had a couple of pass interferences. They had the offsides penalty that basically sealed it at the end. Um, you know, there's obviously no pass rush when you have Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell. They weren't able to get a sack in that game. And that was something, you know, fans would get mad at Pete Goling and why you're dropping Will Anderson in the coverage and why, you know, you have a player like that. Aren't you getting all the sacks and the pressure? Um, and, you know, just the overall output and yeah i mean part of it was jalen miller throws interception texas has the ball inside the 20 yard line and you know they scored right away um and that's you know seven points right there and you know plus miller's interception early in the game too probably affected the defense but um yeah I, it was good against south florida um, obviously the offense was a much much bigger problem um middle tennessee was fine it was good um but you know they just haven't you haven't played anybody yet other than Texas. So Ole Miss, like you mentioned, is right up there in terms of some of the best offenses in the country. You ask Lane and he says, you know, their offense has issues um, because of some of the injuries that they have, but they're still scoring over 50 points a game, 526 yards. Um, yeah. Again, sample size is small. They played Mercer. They played Tulane. They played Georgia Tech. So Ole Miss hasn't really played a, you know, SEC defense either, but that's, kind of what this time of year is in college football. But, you know, overall, I, I don't know if you can say right now that Alabama is better off without Pete Golding. Um, and that's, you know, I think something that even Saban talked about. I mean, it's it's his defense. Um, you know, it's his call at the end of the day what's, what's going to happen on the field. He is the final say. And, um, you know, people probably hated on Pete a little too much. 
for the defense that finished second in the SEC, you know, most of the years that he was here. Um, I think people, you know, people want it to be first. They want it to be better than Georgia's. They want it to be like Georgia's even. And it wasn't. And that's, you know, a problem, obviously, with Pete. And we'll have to see if he can do something better at Ole Miss. But again, I don't know if what we've seen so far from Kevin Steele this year is better. And then there's the issue that, you know, Lane was kind of getting at with the the play calling on defense. And, you know, even though Saban said Steele's still the defensive coordinator, Saban was still pretty open about saying that there was issues getting the calls in, which is a little unusual to hear him say that. And um, again, that was at times an issue with Pete. So again, that's one of those things that carries over from, you know, previous to, to, new, to the new regime on defense. And the bottom line is, I don't know if you can say that it's better right now. Yeah. Um, what do you think are the biggest challenges this, you know, Alabama's defense has got? I've got my own ideas, but I'm kind of curious to see, you know, what, what do you think? Like, what's the first line of defense? What's the first key that they got to, you know, make sure they figure out if they want to try and at least slow down? I don't know if you could stop Ole Miss, but I think slow them down maybe. Yeah. I mean, Ole Miss isn't really as high flying of an offense, if, if that's the right term, as Tennessee. I mean, they both run really fast. Um, but last year, like Tennessee was able to get the downfield plays to Hyatt and you know, it, they have the wide splits and um, you know, Ole Miss is still they're an up-tempo team, but they really like to run the ball. And, and so it's getting lined up and, and getting you know, your defense is going to be tired because you're trying to stop the run play after play after play. And, you know, it worked, you know, for Ole Miss last year, I'd say for a good chunk of that game, you know, Junkins has 135 yards, two touchdowns and 25 carries. Um, you know, Zach Evans didn't do much in last year's game, but he's done some things for him so far this year. So I'd imagine that Ole Miss comes out and, and tries to establish the run. And uh, again, they've they've done a pretty good job of, of doing that under Lane Kiffin. And um, it's it's a case of Alabama's run defense has been pretty good so far this year. Um, I don't know if there's been a test like they've they've had in Ole Miss so far. And, and that's where I'd expect Lane to try to get after them, first of all. Um, and, you know, we'll have to see what they try to do through the air with, with Jackson Dart and the receivers that they have. I, I wouldn't say it's quite as um, plentiful, the, you know, the weapons they have receiving-wise as Texas had. Um, but Lane's still good at scheming guys open, and um, it's something that the secondary's you know, going to need to prepare for. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that the issues that Lane – you know, says that his offense has is they've been hurt. They've been banged up. Um, Quinshawn Judkins, I don't think has been healthy all season. Um, still been moderately productive, but not the guy that ran for 1500 yards and 16 touchdowns last year. Um, Ole Miss was pretty, they were one of the portal teams last year that it, what they didn't quite overhaul it like Colorado did. And I don't know that they accepted, you know, double digits quite like Florida state did, but you know, they got a tight end from Memphis who I don't think has played yet. Um, supposed to be really productive. I know they were excited about him. I think he was back practicing this week. If I looked at, um, you know, the Rebels 247 website, Inside the Rebels on 247 Sports, um, you know, they've got a, a receiver who's been banged up that I know that they're really excited about. So those are probably the issues that just like all, they don't have the full stable of weapons or they may not have the full stable of weapons. Um, you know, so it'll be kind of interesting to see how or if Alabama is able to take advantage of that. Um, on the flip side, uh, Pete Golding being the defensive coordinator for Ole Miss, we know of Alabama's offensive issues, which we'll talk about a little bit more here in just a second. But I'm kind of curious what – I mean, should we expect almost the exact same thing that Golding did at Alabama for the last five years? Or what, what are you expecting from 
a Pete Golding led Ole Miss defense on Saturday? Um, I mean, I think it's going to be tougher to do what Alabama did results wise um, the last few years under Golding at Ole Miss because you don't have the same personnel. Um, and that's something where, you know, even I think Saban alluded to it on Monday that it's a little bit different in terms of what they do um, because the personnel is different. And I, I can't sit here and say exactly, you know, what the, the scheme is. It's different. But, um, you know, Ole Miss like to do a lot of the three, three stack, I believe, um, you know, under their, their former um, coordinators, there's multiple. And, uh, you know, that allowed Alabama to run a little bit. Same thing with Arkansas. Uh, we'd like to run that defense. So uh, you get into a little bit more of, you know, Alabama's um, four two five nickel and a little bit of different alignment and approach where, um, again, I, you know, the, the technicalities of it, I think, bore people. But um, it's going to look different. I, the results for so far for Ole Miss have been okay. Uh, I think there's 66 in the country in yards allowed. Um, you know, Tulane was able to do some things offensively against them, which Tulane's a good team. You know, that's, that's something I think people forget. You know, Tulane's yeah. a top team at the time. Um, but, you know, they don't have a Will Anderson. They don't have a Brian Branch. They don't have some of the players that Alabama's had under Golding. And, uh, you know, that's just going to make it harder for them. Yeah, 100%. Um, Alabama's offense – so that's what I wrote about this week. And no, we didn't necessarily plan that. Um, but I was basically looking at kind of like trends, things that were doing well, things they weren't doing well, things that they should maybe do more of. We know that we've written plenty about the offensive line struggles, right? 12 sacks in three games, 12 sacks allowed in three games. But I also found this. Um, and I'm going to rattle off a few thoughts here. And I'm, I'm kind of curious what you think about the whole thing. Alabama, and you wrote about this a little bit earlier too, not bad at running the ball, especially on first down. When you adjust for sacks, Alabama's rushed, by my count, 594 yards on 105 attempts this season. That's good for 198 a game, 5.66 yards per carry. Uh, quarterbacks especially been pretty good when they've been added to the run game. They've rushed you know, the quarterbacks 191 yards on 24 attempts, right around eight yards a carry. It's pretty good. Uh, more than that. On 105, on the, of the 105 rushing attempts, 64 have gone for three yards or more. So 61% of the time, Alabama has rushed for three yards. Um, I think they'd take that uh, more often than not. They've also had a big play, big rushing play, which is 10 yards or more on 22 attempts, which is 21%. So basically one every five rushing attempts is 10 yards or more, which I think is something that they would also take. Um, in addition to that, Alabama's pretty good at running the ball on first down. Um, 51 first down rushing attempts, 288 yards, 5.6 a carry, about the same. But like that's important because Alabama is 15 for 21 on third downs that require five yards or fewer, but five for 21 on third downs that require six yards or more. Um, you know, I know that like they wanted the run game to be kind of this dominant force, and I wouldn't exactly call those insane dominating numbers, but like. Alabama's been pretty good at running the ball. Like, you know, there are more efficient and more powerful run game teams out there. But, like, I think based on the numbers, that they've not been bad. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I think if you're going to be a running team, you have to be better than that. Um, if you're not going to be a team that can win, you know, with passing, then you got to be dominant in running the ball. I don't think they have. I think they've – yeah, they've been good. Um, but Alabama being middle of the pack or even – 
you know, upper two thirds of the country is not good enough to be where they want to be. I mean, if they want to win a national championship, you got to have something that's going really well for you. And I don't think it's going to be their passing game. And at this point, I would still have doubts about the running game. Um, and I'm just looking back, you know, this USF game that they just played, you know, yeah, you have the 19 yard run to begin the game. And then, you know, let's look Buckner's third possession, first and first down play, the first play of the drive McClellan up the middle for one yard. So that puts them in a second and nine, which Buckner actually converted to Isaiah bond. All right. So they have a first down after that. Roydell Williams up the middle, one yard, another second and nine, incomplete, third and nine, incomplete. So that put Buckner in a tough spot, third and long. Um, you know, he should have done better against USF's defense, but that's just what it is. Um, so then another drive, Buckner actually gets a first down scrambling. So then they have a first and 10, Roydell Williams loses two yards in first down. All right, so then you're behind the eight ball again, second and 12, incomplete. Third and 12, no gain, another punt. So you sense the theme here. And then Buckner's fourth drive, first down, Jace McCullen, rush, no gain. So then you're at a second and 10. The first down running game in the first half against South Florida was not good. And that was putting Buckner in some pretty long spots that, for the most part, he didn't get out of. There were a few times that he did. Even later in that drive, you know, so that – McClellan for no no gain they were able to get two first downs after that and then they have a first down near midfield McClellan rushed to the left two yards again I, I don't think it got it done um really until you know late in the second quarter that first half drive going to halftime 29 seconds left most teams are just going to take a knee uh yeah. Saban really doesn't believe in that so he lines up and you know they run the ball a few times and you know they get 10 yards total uh, ended up going to halftime. It really wasn't until the second half when they started kind of breaking through a little bit um, in the running game. And, you know, I think it was really that end of the third quarter, um, really beginning of the fourth quarter, just kind of looking back at it, even fourth quarter, first and 10 from the Alabama 22 yard line with 1148 left in the game. Jace McCullen rush up the middle, loss of one yard. And then you're in second and 11. And Ty Simpson completed the pass for a first down. Next play, rush to the left, Roydo Williams, three yards. So if you're getting negative two, zero, one, two, even three yards in first down running, I think it's going to be really tough with the quarterbacks that they have to consistently make things happen on second and long and third and long to move the chains and to score the ball. So it's going to need to be a lot better than what they've done. Yeah, and I think the numbers bear that out too. Just that that third down efficiency when it's five when they need five yards to move the chains on third down, they're 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 pretty good. When it's mm -hmm. six yards or more, they're not. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. 
spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The rushing game has been fine. I think it could be better. I agree with you there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it needs to be better, clearly, um, if these quarterbacks are going to take advantage, which is why I think like it's, it's you know, involving the quarterbacks in the run game. And now that we know Jalen Milrose QB one moving forward, like involving him in the run game, like here's here's some fun numbers on Jalen Milrose. He's got 139 rushing yards on 15 attempts again after you adjust for sacks, um, you know, on designed runs like five rush five to only five design runs for Jalen Milrose, which is crazy when you see that speed that he has right so of the five design runs about 45 yards um on scrambles 95 yards like so the guy can make things happen when things break down but also like he's very efficient you know almost nine yards a pop basically when you just design the run for him and i wonder if that's like i don't wonder like i know that that needs to be a crucial part of alabama's offense moving forward um i guess i just wonder if we're actually going to see more of it um you know, because I think like including the quarterbacks in the run game and the fun part about, um, you know, designing an offense like this is that like Ty Simpson has shown that he can do similar things. He's not nearly as fast as Jalen Milrow, but the guy is not afraid to take, you know, a run pass option and keep it and tuck it for his own. And he'll get, you know, five, six, seven yards up the field. Like he's not afraid to do that. Um, you know, so if something were to happen to Milrow or they feel like they need to make a quarterback change, I think if they can design an offense that includes some quarterback runs, designed runs, option plays, whatever the case may be, you know, and they have to go to Simpson at some point, you don't have to really change a whole much, a whole lot of the offense, you know, like it's just, I, I, we've seen it with our eyes that like Milrow is insanely fast. And when he decides to tuck the ball, it, it can be a very effective thing for the offense. I guess, yeah, I guess I, I, I know that that needs to be part of the offense. I wonder if we're going to see it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it was something that Reese did at Notre Dame uh, with their quarterbacks, Ian Book, and I have to think back even, you know, before that, but it was something that was part of the Notre Dame offense. And, um, you know, I, just, I'm thinking back to Jalen Miller's freshman year when he played a little bit at Alabama, um, you know, when Bryce, when the game was over and Bryce, you know, was on the bench or whatever, you know, the Mercer game, for instance, 2021. Jalen Murrow's freshman year, he came in through one pass, but ran seven times for 33 yards. Um, you know, I, the uh, New Mexico State game that year, threw for five passes, ran five times. And we saw that freshman year, they were running basically the triple option with him or, you know, read option type stuff. 
And that was kind of what he was as a freshman. Jalen Miller was a very run-oriented quarterback. And um, the big critique from Saban whenever it was when he was playing those games or when he was in the spring game uh, going into his sophomore year was we need to make Jalen Miller into a better passer. Um, because that's really, I think, where Saban falls philosophically. I don't think Saban believes that you can win big in college football by running that offense. Um, the triple option, having the quarterback run 15 times a game or more, um, and that the defense is just going to creep up and they're going to be able to stop that. So, you know, I, I do think you can include some elements of – design runs with Jalen Milrow. I think you're obviously going to get the benefit when he's in there of a play breaking down a bad snap, as we've seen a couple times already this year, and he picks up the ball and makes guys miss and, and kind of improvises. Uh, but I still think that they are going to try to run this offense, um, you know, with uh, a, a pass first mindset from their quarterback, at least where that's, I think the way that they, um, you know, want to win. I'm just looking back at a quote from Saban in 2021. He says, our philosophy of not having a quarterback run a lot, unless it's a scramble type play, is something that is helpful because hopefully that guy doesn't get hurt. That's kind of an NFL thing for me. That guy can play with consistency and you can win then at throwing the ball. You don't have to have the quarterback run all the time to have an effective team. So I think philosophically, I don't know if Saban's, on board with having Milrow just, you know, Josh Allen style, just slam his body into people every play. Um, you know, they might get to the point where that's what they kind of need to do offensively, but I, I just, I have a hard time seeing them win, winning big that way. I think it's something that they need to at least think about. I'm sure like we're not groundbreaking revelations here. I'm sure this is something that is being discussed inside, you know, Alabama's football offices if it's not been discussed already but just you see the effectiveness of what he can do when he makes things he makes something out of nothing you see the numbers that show the effectiveness when it's actually like hey here take the ball and run it um I wonder if it's something that they can do more um speaking of Milrow also um pretty good on deep passes this year I know that there was a question coming in um on passes where the ball travels 20 plus yards downfield seven for 11 262 yards and four touchdowns um maybe do more of that. I don't know if the offensive line is going to give them enough time to do more of that because they're just not good, but at least they haven't been good the last two weeks, especially, but really all season. Um, but just something else to think about one other revelation. Um, and maybe this was just for my own kick, but I thought it was interesting and worth tracking 12 personnel, two tight ends, two receivers, one running back. Um, Alabama's pretty good there. So they've got, um, so through three games, 1,100 total yards of offense on 191 plays, about 5.7 yards per play for Alabama's offense. Cool. When in 12 personnel, they've run 78 plays for 523 yards. That's 6.7 yards per play. Alabama's gaining a whole nother yard per play more with a second tight end on the field. Maybe do more of that. They run the ball a lot more than they pass out of 12 personnel, which is probably by design, right? You can kind of put a pseudo jumbo package on there. But, like, we've been screaming this since the preseason. Like, maybe do a little bit, like, try to figure out how to utilize passing situations out of there. Like, that can, Saban wants a play-action pass game. Maybe that's where you do it. But, like, 
I make 12 personnel your base personnel. I don't know. Like clearly it's working more so in the run game, but clearly it's working. Right. Yeah. I mean, like they hit the CJ Dupree play, you know, a tie um, down the field that kind of, you know, it was kind of the turning point in that game against South Florida. Um, you know, Nye Black, technically you can count him as a tight end. Like they're in 12 personnel when Nye Black's out there, but he functions in some ways as like a big slot receiver. Um, yeah. He's a hybrid body type. So, you know, I think if you're in 12 personnel, if Nye Black's one of those two guys, it it gives him the best of both worlds as long as he's can effectively run block um, if they need him to. But um, I think what the idea would be is put Nye Black and Danny Lewis out there or Nye Black and Robbie Oots and have, you know, one of your better blocking tight ends out there, um, you know, that might mean CJ Dupree plays less, which we've already kind of seen. Um, but Dupree's more of a receiving threat than he is a, you know, really good blocker. So it's trying to mix and match different guys there. And, you know, again, not give away the play. Cause if you have Nye Black and Dupree out there, you're screaming pass. If you have Lewis and Oots, you're screaming run. And that kind of indicates which direction you're going. Um, and you know, I, I think the question too is Reese faces and Saban faces is our second tight end better than our third receiver, and and who has the better capability of uh, making a big play? Which historically for Alabama, the last five or six years, it's absolutely been their third receiver has been the more talented, explosive player, uh, has meant more to the offense. That's probably less true now um, because as we talked about in previous shows, like it's not the same a wide receiver. But you could still make the case that it's having, let's say, Malik Benson out there instead of Danny Lewis is probably giving you a better shot to have a deep passing game and, and keeping defenses honest. You know, with if, it, if it's Benson and Burton and Bond versus just Burton and Bond and Lewis and Dupree, um, you know, you're you're limiting your options a little bit. But yeah, I. I I think they're still going to use both. I think they're going to use three wide receivers, one tight end. I think they're going to use two tight ends, two wide receivers. We saw some of the two running back stuff against Texas. Um, I think ultimately if you're stuck in one personnel group, you know, you're, you're going to become predictable. So, you know, the best option for them, I think is still to, to mix and match a little bit. Yeah, no, totally agree with you there. Um, but clearly the 12 personnel is working. I wonder, I just, well, I guess I wonder how much more they lean into it. Uh, moving forward, because I, I think the best version of this offense includes a healthy a healthy dose of 12 personnel, um, you know, and I'm kind of curious to just see how they continue to mix and match that. I'm also really intrigued by the uh, 21 personnel, the pony personnel, um, you know, because the couple of the things they were trying to do against Texas while using two running backs on the field, it looked like it would have worked if the execution was fully there. I know that they're what Roydell Williams, you know, he hauled in a pass that was just a little off the mark. And if it had been on the mark, probably a walk-in touchdown. Um, same thing with Jace McClellan on a, on a deep kind of what looked like a wheel route outside of the backfield. Um, so you can see kind of some of the things that they're trying to do with these guys. And if those plays hit um, one, how much does that change the Alabama, Texas game? And two, you know, like it's just, it's another thing on film that defense is moving forward have to worry about. Um, you can read all of uh, what Mike wrote about Alabama's defense on Bama 247. You can wrote all about, or you can read what I wrote all about the offense on Bama 247. But really, Mike, I think, you know, Bama just needs to run the ball on first down, uh, call some design runs for Jalen, uh, utilize 12 personnel and run it again, and then chuck it deep. And if they do that, I think the offense will be fine, right? It's a lot. <laughs> You're right. Um, we'll see. I mean, it's, I don't know if 
all this renewed confidence in Jalen Milrow and you know, everybody kind of rallying behind him now really changes anything. Like he's still Jalen Milrow and there's still good parts about his game and there's still flaws to his game. And um, I don't think anything's going to magically go away on Saturday. So we'll have to see. Um, I, again, I, I think the better chance for them to get better is the offensive line, like because they should be playing better given what they have. And, you know, that doesn't mean Caden Proctor turns into Orlando Pace right away at the left tackle. But when you have Booker and and Latham and I thought McLaughlin and Dalcourt are fine in the middle, like you should be doing better things than they are now. Um, I know that one position sometimes can break everything down, but I think the ceiling for the offensive line is higher. And so if, if things do change quickly, I think it's going to be in that area more than it will Milrow all of a sudden, you know, becoming something that you probably isn't like, I think you have what you have in Milrow. I think the offensive line, you have something better than what you you've seen. Yeah. And, and Talty and I kind of touched on that in the last show, just, you know, hate to pick on the true freshman, but Caden Proctor has very clearly visibly struggled the last two weeks. Um, you know, really, I think if you really want to nitpick all the way back to the first week too, maybe that's where the first signs of his struggles first started to surface. Um, you know, and you wonder what that means for Alabama moving forward. You wonder if they reshuffle, you wonder if they just plug book back into left guard, does that make a difference? Um, you know, I think the, the most optimistic view is that one, they won't play a defensive front quite as talented as Texas for the rest of the year until they see Georgia, if they see Georgia in the SEC championship game, um, you know. And then the, the continued most optimistic look is that Booker was not there to help Proctor um, against South Florida. So how much does that make a difference? Um, but also, like, I just I wonder if they start to shuffle with personnel a little bit. You and I were talking about this leaving Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. Just like, you know, I do you try Elijah Pritchett? Do you I, do you here's a thought. Do you kick Booker out to tackle plug Ferguson in at left guard and, and try to roll that way? Um, you know, do you kind of, do you put book back on the right side and maybe put Ferguson in so you can try to just get like some of your best offensive line, all five of your best offensive linemen in. Um, I don't know. I, they, they've got some decisions that they've got to make. Um, especially if the issues continue to persist, Ole Miss has a good pass rush, not a great pass rush. They got 10 sacks through the first three games. Um, we were joking that it would probably double after they play Alabama on Saturday. We'll see. Um, but I think that, you know, if they don't make changes like, you know, then the problems are probably deeper than just, you know, the offensive line giving up 12 sacks in three games. So that's just that's another thing that we are going to be monitoring on Saturday. Um, got a few minutes left. Um, put out a roll call for mailbag questions for this week. Uh, we got a few, not a ton, um, but I wanted to parse through and pose a few of these um, last part of the podcast. Um, speaking of offensive line play, here is a question from, from Bama with love aside from the offensive line play, because they think that that would be number one. What has been the biggest surprise with this Alabama team, positive or negative? Mike, I'll throw that to you first. Yeah, I think we had this before, um, the Texas game or the South Florida game. And I said the deep passing game, because that was the one thing we thought was going to be lost going from Bryce Young in what we saw, let's say, two years ago, even with Jamison Williams and John Metry to what they have now. And that's been fine. I mean, obviously, South Florida game, it didn't really show up. They had that long attempt from Buckner to Burton that didn't connect. Um, but, you know, they didn't really try it a ton against South Florida. 
Um, but Texas and Middle Tennessee State, I mean, Milrow was more explosive through the air than even Quinn Ewers was. He had more um, long pass plays than, than Texas did. Um, and that was – and that's, again, maybe part of the problem with Milrow is that it's, it's kind of all or nothing. It's boom or bust. And um, I, I don't know if I was necessarily expecting that out of Milrow. Um, I, you know, I think we had the discussion before the season that actually statistically – Last year, he was not a great deep ball thrower in his limited time. Not at all. And, you know, I think there was kind of this popular opinion going into the year that he had a really strong arm. He had a great deep ball. Can he make the underneath throws? And um, that actually, I guess, is proven to be true because he's gotten better as a deep ball thrower. But there's still been some questions on uh, kind of uncorking some of these shorter passes and having the right velocity and touch on them that um, mm -hmm. there's been some issues there. And you can tell, you know, mechanically, they've tried to clean him up and his legs are still a little bit um all over the place in the pocket at, at some times and um you know is he going through all of his reads is he tucking the ball too early that was that was always an issue with Milrow you know in spring games and the time that he's played you know no, that stuff's been all right I think the, the deep ball's been it's been there whether it's been the bond or Burton uh nine black for that touchdown so I I don't think that's the biggest problem but it's still a matter of consistently throwing the ball and having a passing offense that you can kind of rely on, especially if you're trailing in a game. I don't know if they have that, but there's some capacity for a deep passing game. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with that. And I, you know, the stats bear out that he's, you know, he's pretty good short, you know, like basically screen passes or passes behind the line of scrimmage is from pro football focus. What three or four mm -hmm. completions, Passes zero to nine yards downfield. He's 15 and 19 um, with a couple drops. Um, obviously, the deep ball, seven of 11 for 220, 262, four touchdowns. Where he struggles is that like intermediate passing, right? Like 10 to 19 yards. Like, and I don't know if that's like a route development issue. So he just doesn't, you know, the offensive line isn't giving him enough time for the receivers to get open in that part of the field or, you know, before they're able to get open in that part of the field, that's when he tucks it and runs it or he gets sacked. Like there's a lot of different issues as to why that middle portion of the field continues to be a struggle for him. But I think if he's able to tap into that a little bit, you know, and maybe that's where tight ends can help him out a little bit, right? Like go run a 12 yard curl and just sit in the zone if they play it like, you know, does that help him a little bit? Can that really unlock the rest of this offense? Um, you know, I think, again, that maybe falls back on the offensive line a little bit. We keep talking about how, like, you know, if the offensive line plays better, I think the floor of this offense gets significantly higher because we've seen some really good things, and I think we all can kind of see what they can be. But it's kind of, you know, can the offensive line get better? And, two, like, can everybody else execute um, if they're able to do that? Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think he's been fine. Um, not – great um obviously he's had some bad moments but yeah the the deep ball that was not something he was good at last year and so I'm, I'm in agreement with you there um that's been a little bit surprising I think for me um the run defense if only because like just the unknown really about Alabama's defensive line depth coming in um you know Deontay Lawson taking the reins I think he's been spectacular um, you know, and I think this could be a really big game for him too. Like if he's able to kind of, you know, contain Jackson dart a little bit and really kind of get the defense in the right situations to, you know, slow down Ole Miss. Um, you know, I think this could be a really big game for Deontay Lawson too, but he's been really good. And really the run defense as a whole, I know that what statistically speaking, they've given up 118 per game. I, that's, you know, 57th nationally, but you know, they gave up 105 to a Texas team that no longer has Bijan, but like we know Sark loves to run the ball and the fact that they, you know, 
didn't run the ball really well or felt like they had to go away from it against Alabama's defense, I thought was kind of telling. Um, and then obviously against Middle Tennessee State, they allowed three yards of carry. But um, yeah, pleasantly surprised by Alabama's run defense just because I wasn't sure who the characters were going to be. And now that we've kind of seen it, it's like, okay, like hey, these these guys can stop the run. Um, I don't know if they can stop the run when they need to, right? Because Texas bled the clock out. But um, they've shown that, you know, as long as they can contain mobile quarterbacks, which will be a challenge against Ole Miss, um, you know, they're pretty good against the run. Um, another question. This is this this one's kind of interesting. Outside of Proctor and Downs, what freshmen do you think are playing the biggest roles by the end of the year? I still think Justice Haynes is going to get on the field. Um, I think that's something where you know might depend on the results of the next few games and kind of where things are headed. Um, if they lose to Ole Miss or if they lose to AM and things you know, the, the the goals of the season, so to speak, aren't really in front of them anymore. I think it makes more sense to play Justice Haynes and it makes more sense to play other younger players that, you know, are going to be around next year. And, you know, I don't know if that will be a disservice or an offense to Jason McClellan and Roydell Williams. They've both been really serviceable, reliable guys uh, for, you know, um, almost four years now because they're both seniors. Um, but, the future, I think, at running back for Alabama is either going to be Justice Haynes or you're going to find somebody else. And I think it's certainly there's a lot of promise with Justice Haynes. And, um, you know, we both saw the some of the tweets that his dad was responding to. And, um, you know, I think in, in the NIL era or the transfer portal era, like you have to be careful with that as a coach. You can't just say you're stuck here for three years and you're going to have to develop before you, you see the field. It's you have to be weary of guys leaving and having a five-star running back walk out the door because you didn't want to play him right away. And I think Saban gets that. And that's why when he was asked yesterday, you know, about some of the run, younger running backs, he did mention that he thinks they'll, they'll see the field as the season goes on. And um, obviously those snaps will have to come from somewhere. And, you know, it's probably going to come from McClellan and, and, and Roydell. Um, so, you know, again, I, I think we're going to see him. I don't know how much in this game, but depending on how things go, maybe by October. Yeah, I think. And I wonder, you know, the more, the more I think about it, the more I wonder if it's like a pass protection issue, you know, cause I think Saban really wants guys out on the field who he knows can do a lot of different things. Um, you know, obviously that with the offensive line issues, he really wants the two veteran guys in there, especially against Texas. Um, and then to a lesser degree because of the game script against South Florida, like you want guys in there that are going to help, protect the quarterback when they're going to try and throw the ball. So I wonder if that's part of the issue. Um, I'm in agreement with you. I'd like to see a little bit more justice Haynes just cause it's like, you know, you talked about this guy, you have continued to talk about this guy who, you know, is somebody you're high on is somebody that you believe will have a greater role as the season goes along. Um, he said it again this week. And so it's just kind of like, are we going to see him because we only see him on special teams? And what does that mean? You know, like he's getting used to game speed, but like, let's put the, let's put the rock in his hands and see what he can do with it. Um, I'm going to go a little off the wall here and say James Smith um, on the D line thought he mm -hmm. got, he got an opportunity against South Florida and it's just South Florida. Um, the reason he got that opportunity probably because Jaheim Otis wasn't playing, um, but he made the most of it, right? Like he, uh, two pressures, believe he recorded a tackle as well. It makes me wonder what kind of opportunity he'll get this weekend. Um, like to think that he'll get a few more snaps. 
Um, you know, can you parlay that opportunity into something more as the season goes along? They need to continue to build some defensive line depth. Um, you know, I'm not saying James Smith is going to be a game wrecker or, you know, alter the way, you know, even a drive wrecker at that part. But like, you know, can can this be a guy that turns into a 2025 snap a game guy that comes in and gives you good juice on the defensive line, you know, contribute to pressure here and there, maybe wreck a play here and there. Um, you know, I liked what I saw on the rewatch out of him, um, you know, pleasantly surprised looking back over the box score, um, you know, and I think that that's a guy that, you know, not only do I think he, he can, but I think he, he maybe is somebody, if he's going to get more opportunities that Alabama kind of needs to, you know, come along a little bit more just to help with that D line depth. Um, so James Smith on the D line, justice Hayden's at running back. Um, last question here for you. Give me one key. This one's for me. This isn't from our board. Um, although we will try and do more mailbag questions. So please pay attention when I call a roll call or however I phrase it moving forward, because it just, we just didn't get a lot of interaction for various reasons, but um, we'll try, we'll try another mailbag um, podcast later. But last question for me, before we wrap up today's show, Mike, give me one, give me the most important key to Alabama beating Ole Miss this weekend. <laughs> Jalen Milrow not throwing interceptions. I think that's, that's the main reason why he was benched. Um, we know that, that sticks with uh, it sticks with Saban and um, you know, there's 10 points that resulted from those and obviously bad field position that they, you know, they gave away and it that's Ben Milrow's MO. I mean, when he's been throwing the ball um, not just this season, but going back to last season, there's been a, a high degree of um, I'll say probability that there's, there's going to be an interception and that showed up from the get-go that Texas game and that, that obviously can demoralize a, a defense and demoralize a team when you go out there and your quarterback's giving the ball right back. Um, and that's, that's something they're still going to need to guard against. Um, that's, I mean, we hear it all the time from Saban, don't be a shooting guard, be a point guard. And if Milrow can safely distribute the ball to players, then that seems to be what Saban really wants right now, more than him trying to uh, force the ball into a window that, isn't there or not see a player that's not there, which I think was probably more the case against Texas, um, you know, guy peeling off the outside coverage as it was. So um, if he can avoid that, then, you know, they're being a good spot. If he starts throwing two picks, three picks in the first half, what does Alabama do from there? I mean, do they go to Ty Simpson? I think there will be calls for that. I wouldn't rule it out. Um, you know, as much as Saban's kind of get rallying behind Milrow again, saying he's our guy, he has nothing to prove, that would be a dire situation for this team. If there's a few first-half turnovers and all of a sudden the season's on the line in the second half, you know, do you stick with Milrow or do you go with Simpson? That's like – those are the scenarios I think they have to talk through the next 48 hours here and figure out what their plan would be. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Um, and kind of quietly – I've, I've kind of, I don't know this quietly, it's on a podcast, thousand people are going to hear this. Um, the more I rewatched the South Florida game, the more I was like, huh, okay, I see it. Ty Simpson's getting snaps. He's getting more comfortable. He's getting his head ripped off because the offensive line just isn't great. But I see it. Like, I can see where this could, if the offensive line was maybe better or maybe if they begin to play better, I could see that he would be the guy that maybe Saban would turn toward, but because the offensive line just hasn't shown that they're up to the task, having a guy like Milrow who can create a little bit more, um, 
makes a lot more sense and gives the offense, I think, a lot more opportunity uh, for the short term. We'll see if that changes at all. But like the more I've seen, the more just the more I watched it, the more I was like, yeah, yeah, like I I see it. Um, and that was one thing Talty and I talked about too. Just like hadn't really seen it, right? Like he had played less than he played like 38 total snaps over the last two years. Ty Simpson did, and then he played 40 against South Florida, and it's like, hey. He, Looked okay. Like, not great, but he looked okay. Like, I can see the little things that made him a five-star. Um, I'll give you my key before we head out. Um, contain Jackson Dart. Um, he is obviously a very, very good passer. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that he can, he can orchestrate Lane Kiffin's offense. Um, but I think one thing that Alabama needs to keep an eye on is that this guy is not afraid to run the ball, and he showed that against Georgia Tech. So Ole Miss may be down a couple of key cap pass catchers, uh, Quinshawn Judkins may not be at fully hundred percent, but Jackson Dart against Georgia tech rushed for 136 yards on 14 attempts, about 10 yards a pop. Um, you look back at the South Florida game, Byron Brown, when you adjust for sacks ran for over hundred yards, a lot of them on scrambles. Um, so can Alabama's defensive front keep Jackson Dart in front of them? Can they keep him in the pocket and make him go through his reads before they're able to get home? Can they kind of squeeze the pocket a little bit? Um, to make life a little bit more difficult. If he's able to get outside the tackles and run a little bit, it could be a really long day for Alabama's defense. Um, so I tend to trust the secondary to do enough of the job for the pass rush to get home a little bit, or at least, you know, play contain a little bit. But Jackson Dart's a guy that can kill them with his legs. And I think if they let him get loose a few too many times, um, it's only going to make a really good Ole Miss offense that much better. Um, so I think that's, you know, coming back to Deontay Lawson, Middle of that defense could be a really big game for him if they're able to keep Jack Jackson Dart in check. If not, um, we could be looking at Lane Kiffin's first win over Nick, Nick Saban um, in his collegiate career. That's all we got. Uh, Mike, I appreciate you taking some time to join me on today's show. We will be back first thing, probably come back Monday to recap the Alabama Ole Miss game. We'll probably record Sunday and then we'll unleash it to everybody first thing Monday morning. Mike and I will both be at Brian Denny Stadium for that game. In the meantime, be sure to rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, even our Bama 247 YouTube page. Subscribe to Bama 247 and 247 Sports. Guys, you can get your subscription for a dollar a month to start then just $10 a month thereafter for the best coverage of your favorite college football team. Take advantage of that, especially if you're an Alabama fan. That's all we've got today, guys. We will uh, catch you guys here in a few days after this game. Enjoy the show. Thanks so much for listening, whether it's us or Taylor Swift, and we will talk again soon. Monday. Federal agents! Here's where we can see them. NCIS Hawaii is back. Time to set it New criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violent Island, we got him. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii, Monday, 10-9 Central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.